we are continuing our series on 2 Corinthians. Uh, we will be in the last few verses of chapter 4 and then the, the first beginning of chapter 5. Um, one of the things I think it's important for us to remember as we engage with Scripture and study Scripture is that when the Holy Spirit wrote this through Paul's pen, he didn't write in chapter breaks. And so the ideas that we see at the end of chapter 4 really flow into what we see at the start of chapter 5, and it's just one cohesive message, um, not out of obligation, not out of ritual, but out of respect for the words of our King. If you're able, please rise as we read uh, 2 Corinthians, starting in verse or chapter 4, verse 16 together. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparisons, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal." For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you oh, for the beauty of your word. Thank you for the privilege of engaging with it. Thank you for voices to lift. And now thank you for ears to listen and minds to process. So as we continue to worship you through engaging with your word, may it be entirely given to you. May we be focused on you. May we be looking for Christ. May we be seeking the things above. Transform us to look like Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We come to this incredible, incredible passage in 2 Corinthians. And in it, he reminds us of an absolutely essential mindset, attitude, perspective we must have. You guys ever seen those optical illusions where, you know, the face follows you? Or you look at it from one way and it looks like one thing. You take two steps to the left and it transforms entirely. Because our perspective, the way we look at things, where we stand, how we position our gaze, influences what we may observe or what we may think we're observing. 
And so in this life, in this series, as we've talked about eternal identity, eternal role, earthly role, we've talked at different points about how we need to approach these things, how we need to understand these things. And in the end of chapter 4, in the beginning of chapter 5, Paul lays out that perspective that has everything line up where we can see correctly and therefore we can respond correctly. And the first thing we see is the proper perspective is eternal. We won't reread all those verses, but what did he say in that? He says, take heart, we are of good courage. Why? Because we know that this temporary weight, this temporary body, this temporary tent he refers to, he says, we know that this stuff is temporary. And we know that this temporary weight is preparing us for an eternal weight beyond comparison. He says this temporary affliction, this eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. He says we're, we're in this tent and we're groaning in it. And we long to cast it off so that what is mortal may become imperishable. He reminds us that our proper perspective is earth's not my home. Has anyone ever been on vacation? Stayed at a hotel? Not like a vacation somewhere you own, but stayed at a hotel, stayed at an Airbnb, a VRBO. You've, you've stayed somewhere that you don't own. How many of you on vacation, uh, popular Outer Banks, Orlando, okay, somewhere south? You're at the beach house. Your kids are like, hey, let's go to the beach. Let's go have fun. And you're like, no, 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 I need to stay and do the landscaping. No, I want to, I noticed that the one room, the paint was peeling a little bit. I want to work on that spot. You guys go enjoy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do work on this property. No. Why? Because it's not yours. It's temporary. Now, look, I'm not saying don't enjoy this temporary life. Read through Ecclesiastes. It is good to enjoy this life. It is right and fitting to enjoy this life. But what I'm saying is, this is our vacation home. Our time's running up. We get to return home soon. So let's keep that perspective as we recognize that we're not about this world. We're not meant for this world. We're not here forever. This is ending. This is mortal. This is perishable. And the weight of eternal glory that awaits us far exceeds whatever we face in this life. Consider this eternal perspective, not just about our lives, but about our very selves, about our very beings. When people say things like, well, you know, I'm just not a patient person. I'm just not a slow to say, like, that's just not who I am. No, 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 that is who you are because you are a new creation in Christ. Once again, it reveals our perspective is wrong. We're still focused on who we were before Christ not on who we are in Christ. We have lost that eternal perspective, and this passage in Corinthians reminds us of it. And more than Corinthians, God's entire word reminds us of this perspective. Consider Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. The Lord is speaking. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Consider Romans 8, 5 and 6 and 18. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen. Consider Romans 12. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Ephesians 4, 22-24, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Consider Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And one of my favorite illustrations Scripture uses to help us understand this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Friends, we are soldiers. We do not get entangled in civilian pursuits. And this isn't a, we do not take care of our lives on this earth. This isn't a stewardship question. This isn't a, you know, we're here and we're going to worry about the law. Like This isn't a neglect of our life here, but we have to recognize that in our life here, we are soldiers who have been given our marching orders. And those marching orders are to use our time here for His glory, for His eternal kingdom, for the weight of glory that is beyond comparison, not an over-obsession, not a fixation, not a panic at, not a hyper-focus of this temporary life, this temporary affliction. What does Psalm 90 say to do that we may gain wisdom? Or rather, ask God. In Psalm 90, the psalmist says, Lord, do this that I may gain wisdom. Teach me to number my days that I may gain wisdom. The eternal perspective, the proper perspective, is a keen awareness that this is fading that we are not meant for this, we are not meant to live for this alone, that we are meant for glory, that we are meant to live for glory, that we are meant to work for His glory. And then this is also helpful because it reminds us, I mean, what, what have we said countless times? God's not trying to trick us. God's not trying to play pretend with us. He says this temporary affliction. So the Christian is not naive. The Christian is not blind to the trials of this life. The Christian is not unaware of the difficulties of this life. We're not pretending like this life won't have pain or affliction at different times. What we're recognizing with our eternal proper perspective is, okay, this is temporary. Think about it. If I said to you, hey, for 24 hours, you are going to be unbelievably sick. 
the sickest you've ever been for 24 hours, and then for the rest of your life, you will never be sick again. Who's taking that trade-off? I am, and that's an easy decision. Temporary affliction. That's what this life will bring. But when I have that perspective of, okay, eternal glory, well then, Lord, I can do this temporary affliction for you. And he, he lays out this just, I keep using the word beautiful, but I really don't know how else to describe it. It's just a beautiful mindset of eternity, eternally focused, eternally longing, eternally confident, eternally driven. And that's what we need to be today. We need to be focused on eternity. Now, within that, has anybody ever heard the phrase, they're so eternally focused that they're really earthly useless? Because we are still earthly in a sense. And so I want us to be a church that's eternally focused, but I'd really also like for us to be a church that's earthly useful. And he goes on in this passage and he lays out what that looks like and he reminds us of how we are eternally focused but still earthly useful for our king, for the commander of heaven's armies who enlisted us as his soldiers. So after we come to the end of that longer passage, I'm going to reread. This is chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. See, a result, a direct result, an inextricable, unavoidable result of proper eternal perspective is courage, is good courage. That word that he uses comes from a word that literally means, I show boldness in this life. And this is, again, something we see in Scripture time and time again. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself, and the Lord is God. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 25. To whom, Lord, the Lord is speaking, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You have Romans 4, 20-21. 
No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. The preceding verses are talking about Abraham, and it includes one of the funniest phrases in the Bible. It says, he did not consider his old body, which was as good as dead, but he grew strong in his faith regarding the promises of the Lord. Proper perspective, an eternal focus brings courage. And not just courage for life, but also courage on how to do life. Consider this verse, these or these verses rather, in 1 Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians 54 to 58. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. See, this confidence, this courage, this boldness, it's steadfastness, it's immovability, it's I will be confident in this life, I will be confident in who God has called me to be because I am confident in the Lord. But then it's also confidence in the work we do. He says, knowing that the labor is not in vain. So it's also a confidence that when I work for the Lord, He is working in His omnipotence to make my feeble efforts effective. If these sermons have any value, it is not because of me. It is because God is working to make this effective. God is working so that our labor is not in vain. I have survived car crashes, snowmobile accidents. I've got scars and bumps to prove that I can face life and I can come out on top. To my parents' chagrin, I survived one or two fistfights on the sports field in high school. I'm tough. I can do this. And then pollen, a little tiny speck that I can't even see, wipes me out like a newborn infant. So I am not confident in this life because I'm invincible. I am not immovable on my own. I am not steadfast on my own. I am not able to do this on my own, but we are confident in this life because we stand in Christ. We are confident because we have a proper eternal perspective and we know that the one who is with us is exceedingly, infinitely greater than he who is with the world. We are confident in this life because we know that our temporary affliction doesn't even come close in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that Jesus has ready for us. We are confident in our salvation because like we sang and like Mark pointed out, we know that we are not trying to earn salvation on our own merit. We are confident because we know righteousness was purchased for us by the blood of Christ. And so in that confidence, we are then confident that our work for the Lord is not in vain. 
We are confident that the conversations with our coworkers, we are confident that the prayers for our serving staff, we are confident that helping our neighbors, that caring for people, we are confident that the spreading of the gospel through our own failing, faltering, feeble-minded lips is not in vain because it is God who is speaking and God who is leading and God who is working for Jesus' glory. And that proper eternal perspective leads to confidence unavoidably. And it's awesome. Do you know how confidently I would walk out onto the football field if I knew that me by myself was going to win the Super Bowl? I'd head out there in like beach shorts and flip-flops. So why did the Christians, knowing that victory is ours, why does the church, knowing that victory is ours, knowing that Jesus fights with us, knowing that Jesus fights for us, knowing that Jesus has placed his spirit into us to transform us, to be like him, why do we shrink back? Is it perhaps because we've lost that eternal perspective that Paul lays out building up to this confidence? And so, friends, be encouraged by this passage. Be reminded of the truth of eternal confidence. It's incredible to come to this part of 2 Corinthians and look as he's building. I mean, did you notice how many times he uses so and therefore? When we started back in verse 16 in chapter 4, he says, So we do not lose courage, so we are of good heart. See, everything is built on the preceding truths that he has laid out in this letter, these truths of eternal identity, these truths of eternal role, these truths of security, of strength in Christ, in redemption. And he says, in light of all that, so then we do not lose courage. We show boldness. This is who we are. This is who we have the privilege of being. And then in that, in that proper perspective, in that confidence that comes from the proper perspective, we see a defining attribute of our earthly role. What does he say in chapter 5, verse 9? Verse 6, so we are always of good courage. Verse 8, yes, we are always of good courage. Verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's our earthly role and our eternal role. That is the perspective of allowing our eternal identity, allowing our eternal role to directly shape and lead us in our earthly role. They're not on there anymore. They fell off. But for a while, for several weeks, the back of my phone case was covered in pink sparkly puppy dog stickers. Why? Because my darling cherished two-year-old daughter wanted to share her favorite stickers with me and put them there. I use that phone in public. Do you think it's possible that some stranger in the grocery store or at the restaurant wherever saw it and was like, that's kind of weird? Is it possible? Sure, it's possible. But for me to think that it's possible, I have to be able to read minds. And I cannot read minds. And you cannot read minds. And none of us can. And so what makes more sense for me to do? To not allow my daughter to do that, to share that, to have that joy with me? Because, well, honey, you have to understand, daddy's worried that some stranger in the aisle of the grocery store might for three seconds think he's a little weird. No, I don't care about that stranger's opinion. I care about my daughter's joy. I care about what matters. 
My aim is not to please that stranger and his opinion about what my phone case should look like. My aim in that is to please my daughter. Christian, what are you aiming at? Who are you aiming to please? Are we so worried about what some other person might possibly think of us that we shrink back from what we know will please our Father? From what we know will please the Lord according to what he has set out for us? I mean, consider these verses about our aim is to please him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Ephesians 4.30 and 5.10 Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Acts 4, verse 13, which we read last week, have referenced multiple, multiple times. And then also verses 18 to 20 and 23 to 31. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, pretty cool reference how the Holy Spirit wrote the Old Testament, not just the New Testament, huh? Check that out. Why did the Gentiles rage and their people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness, with confidence, with courage. Why? Because their perspective was not on Herod. Their perspective was not on Pontius Pilate. Their perspective was not on along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Their perspective was on, Lord, you have called us to do this, so grant us that we will continue to do so with boldness. Their aim was to please God. Consider Ephesians 3, 10 to 12, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Let that blow your minds. Through the church, the wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 2 to 4. 
But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of such conflict. Who would say that God's kingdom, the church, is at conflict with the world around it? Yeah. What do we have in that conflict? Boldness to declare the word of God in the midst of such conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God, the devil tries to tell you, mm, I'm not sure you're qualified to share the gospel. Well, God's word says you've been approved by God to do this. Let's go with God's opinion. Just as you have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. 2 Timothy 1, 7-8, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, Therefore, in light of, in light of, you have not been given a spirit of fear. You have been given a spirit of power and love and self-control, self-control over fear, self-control over that. Don't hate, don't, don't, no, no, that's going to be weird. Pull back, shrink back. That's not your job. That's why we hired Sam. Therefore, in light of this spirit that you've been given, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Philippians 1.14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Yeah, but what if what if I truly suffer for sharing the gospel? What if, I, what if I really suffer for sharing the gospel? That's all well good and Sam, but what if, like, what, if, what if I lose my job? What if, the, what if society gets to a point where they start taking tax-exempt status from the church and we lose this building? What if I lose my house over there? Like, what if I suffer for this? Well, Paul says, hey, when I suffered for it, what it did was God used it to make the rest of the people more bold and the gospel spread. So are you willing to go through temporary affliction that the gospel might spread and have eternal weight and significance? I mean, he says in Philippians, he says, look, they became bold when I was thrown in prison. And the result of that was the gospel spread. This is what we're called to. When we have an eternal perspective, we're reminded of good courage. We're reminded of confidence. And that confidence is time and time again linked to boldness in proclaiming the gospel of Christ, in speaking truth, in taking the light of Jesus to the world that desperately needs it. And this is our aim in everything. This is not relegated to a part of our life. This is the defining, the only defining attribute of our lives is an aim to please God, to live for His glory. Let's get real brutally honest and transparent for a second. Barna, I've referenced Barna numerous times. I do studies on the evangelical church. You can maybe quibble over the definition, but for all intents and purposes, it provides a good snapshot, a good insight into where Christianity is today in our country. Uh, about a month and a half ago, I got their latest survey update. 
They asked evangelical Christians, what is your financial goal in life? What is the aim of your finances in life? Bunch of options. What percentage of evangelical Christians, don't throw out numbers, I'm not trying to embarrass any of us. I'm not trying to embarrass the church as a whole, but we have to have this conversation. What percentage of evangelical Christians said that my financial aim is to glorify God? 25%. Three quarters of Christians don't have God's glory as a name for their finances. Well, look, I've got my 401k to think about. I've got retirement to think about. I want trust funds to be set up for all my grandkids and their grandkids. We're trying to save up to get a, you know, whatever. Like, if I can glorify God as a byproduct of all of this, great. No. Friends, our aim with our money is to glorify God. What is your aim for when you go to work every day? Get in, get out, don't get hurt, don't get fired. No, your aim is to glorify God. Rather, it should be. What is my aim when I run errands? Well, the faster I get through errands, the faster I can get on my patio and take a nap. No, my aim is to glorify God. So when I'm in the grocery store, when I'm in Lowe's, when I'm in Meijer, when I'm in Target, and I see someone let out a heavy sigh and just sink against their cart and put their head in their hands, my aim is not, the patio's calling my name. My aim is, okay, who cares about my timeline? This is a child of God who might need somebody to talk to him. My aim at work is not stay under the radar, be cool, be everybody's friend. My aim is, wow, they're really hurting. Hey, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? Can we talk about this? Where you live, where you work, where you eat, where you have fun, where you vacation, everywhere you go, everything you do, the aim must be to glorify God and please Him in that. Every conversation, Lord, I want to please you with this. Are we going to do it perfectly? Not at all. But that doesn't make it not our aim. What is, what is an essential component to hitting the target? aiming at it. If I'm trying to toss something to my parents in the front row, am I going to throw it this way? No, I'm going to aim at what I'm trying to hit. So if I'm not even aiming at glorifying God and I'm just hoping it's a byproduct of it, I've missed the target. Whether we are at home or away, our aim is to please Him. Because we have that eternal perspective, we have that confidence, and we know that He is working. And so that is then our aim. I want to reread a verse that we looked at just a few moments ago before we move on to these these questions to kind of wrap all this up. As you consider a proper eternal perspective, Do I have a proper eternal perspective? You can only answer that for yourself. In that eternal perspective, am I confident? Am I of good courage? Do I show boldness? You're the only one who can answer that. Before we consider those questions, let's go back and reread Ephesians 3. So that through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Do you really believe, not do you know that the right answer is, do you really believe that God has deliberately placed you in your neighborhood, in your job, in your family, in your social circle? Do you really believe that God intentionally put you somewhere in life, or do you believe that you're just where you are by accident, by arbitrary roll of the dice, random probability? Or do you believe, do you genuinely believe that God was deliberate in how he assembled the church, that God was deliberate in the home he gave you, the job he gave you? Do you believe God was intentional in putting you there? Now, do you really believe that you, and yes, I mean you, do you believe that you are God's eternal plan A for telling the lost world about Jesus? Ephesians says that through the church he makes his manifold wisdom known, and this was according to his eternal purpose now realized in Christ. Do you really believe that you are God's plan A? God does not call you the backups. God does not call you the scrubs. God does not call you the bench player. I got picked last in every gym class from now, you know, right? That's who I was, Sam. Okay, God picked you first. The church is God's plan A. Not first to bring salvation, Jesus, Jesus only. But to tell the lost world, to continue the mission of Christ, God eternally purposed and placed the church for this mission, for the continuing of the work that Jesus did. Why do we call it the Great Commission? Is Jesus commissioned his bride to do this? So if we don't believe that we have been placed intentionally in our workplace and in our neighborhood by the Lord, if we don't believe that we are the plan to share the gospel, well, then it's easy to not have an aim of pleasing him. If I'm in my neighborhood by random chance just because the housing market, you know, that was kind of where it led. If I'm in my job just because why not I need a paycheck, well, then I'll let other people take care of evangelizing this part because I'm not the plan. But if we believe God was deliberate, if we believe God was intentional, I mean, how does it describe the church? Assembled by the Holy Spirit. If we believe God was intentional, if we believe God when he says that through the church he makes his wisdom known, through his people he advances the gospel, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. If we believe those things, do our lives reflect that we do? Or has it not transitioned from, yeah, yeah, I believe that, but no, I, I live that out. I'm eternally minded, therefore I am confident, therefore my aim is to please God in everything. To proclaim the gospel with boldness. If the world is going to be bold in its rejection of God, would anybody say, you don't have to raise your hands, but would anybody say the world's pretty bold? and its rejection of God. If the world is going to be bold in its rejection of God, then the church must be all the bolder in her proclamation of Him. 
If your coworkers, if your neighbors, if your friends, if your family, if they are going to be bold in their rejection and ignorance of God, then we must be all the bolder in proclaiming him and pointing to him and living lives that glorify him. This is the greatest joy any of us can know. My wife and I have talked about this when I look at the, the different vocations I've served in. This is by far and away the most stressful job I've ever had. Not even close. I've been on management teams. I've been part of important meetings. This job is by far and away harder than any of those. I would not trade this. I would not trade the hardest day in ministry for the best day in any other calling I've had. Because the joy of being allowed to be part of God's team is unbelievable. The joy of being filled with the Holy Spirit as Christians, of being adopted, of being called the sons and daughters of God, kinship with Christ, conquerors and co-heirs with Christ, that joy that is yours, my friend, as a believer, dwarfs everything else. So when we talk about eternal perspective, when we talk about eternal confidence, when we talk of courage and of boldness, when we talk of an aim to please him, it is not talk of an obligation, it is not talk of a duty, it is talk of a privilege and an honor and a gift. Because we know that this is temporary. And we know that what is ahead of us is far, far greater than anything in front of us. So as we consider this passage in 2 Corinthians this week, continue to pray the Acts model as we grow in prayer. Read Revelation 21 and 22. Familiarize yourself with your real home. I don't care how long you've lived wherever you are. I don't care how much you've put into it. It's a vacation house. So familiarize yourself with your real home. And then let the joy of that, let the beauty of that, let the incomparable significance of that fill you with courage and confidence this week as we live eternally minded lives. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. You are eternally good. And you have extended your goodness to us. In your grace and your mercy, you have washed us. You have adopted us. You have filled us and empowered us and equipped us and called us. And it is wonderful and humbling. Lord, fill your church with confidence. Fill this people with boldness. Whether we eat, whether we drink, whatever we do, may our aim be to please you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.